Swing and a high fly ball, belted. First home run for Acuna as a tape measure shot in Cincinnati. There's a deep drive to center field. Get up, ball. Get out of here. And gone. Home run number one for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. 34 regular season home runs for the now 21-year-old Juan Soto. That is hit in the air to right and way out of here. Wow. Hello and welcome in everybody to episode three of the Prospects 365 Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm Mike Curland, as always, joined by Ray Butler. You can follow us on Twitter. Ray is at Prospects365. I'm at Mike underscore Curland. Ray, it's been a while, man. I've been fighting the flu, but what's going on on your end? Man, episode three, I'm excited for it. Uh, high school baseball season's kicked up, so that's occupied an absolute ton of my time, but trying to roll out as much content on the website and, of course, podcasting with you, man. Glad you're feeling better. Yes, and to everybody else listening, it, this we were probably, we were supposed to record like earlier, actually over the weekend. And I just I literally I felt like I was dying the day we were supposed to record. It was Saturday. I got home from work and I, I swear this thing just punched me right in the face. I was down. I was done. I'm I'm, I'm behind like four articles. I'm behind. I don't. I haven't done anything, man. This is this is it. And I'm glad we finally got around to doing this. And speaking of your uh, of all your material, we're actually going to be highlighting a few things from. From episode three is just going to be a little of everything. We're going to talk about the article you, you just released over there on Prospects 365. We're going to talk about some of the prospects. Oh, sorry, of the top 200 you have, I should say, you've released 80 of your uh, of your players, and we've got some questions on them. So we're going to talk about a few of those players, and then we're also going to talk about some of your 2020 high value active lists, infielders, I should say. So I don't think I missed anything from the list of stuff I'm looking at. We're going to be discussing tonight, so it's going to be busy. So, without further ado, I guess we could jump right into the article. Is that are you cool to start with that one? Yeah, absolutely. So, break it down. The article, for those who haven't read, just everything about it. Let's, let's just jump into it, man. There's a lot in this article. There is. So, at the end of last week, I was having a, a DM conversation with Connor Kirkon from Six Man Rotation. And I basically kind of... Just, you know, I kind of threw out the question. We were talking about Cattell Marte and kind of the validity of his breakout last season. And I kind of threw Connor the question, like, have you seen a valid, well-researched article on the players who could be most affected if the ball is not juiced again in 2020? And we, we both, like, he kind of searched through the internet, I kind of searched through the internet, and we didn't really see – very much and that kind of led us to the discussion of uh you know how would one go about kind of gathering the most valid research that would give the most you know the most valid real results of players who uh, benefited the most the players who benefited the least so on and so forth and you know we kind of bounced some ideas back and forth with with each other you know kind of the route that we should take that would give us the most valid results and uh, you know, we, you know, Connor, of course, it, it should be said that this train would have never left the station without Connor. Co- Connor was the, he was the, the lead actor in this entire process. Uh, his research ability is second to none in the entire industry. He knows how much I think about him. Uh, we, you know, we discussed several different things. We threw ideas back and forth and, 
you know, it seemed like every time we would get to the end of one thing, another door would open and we would decide, yeah, we need to dive into that, so on and so forth. And, you know, we kind of eventually we got to the point where we had decided that the biggest Wobicon difference from last season compared to 2018 was an exit velocity between 95 and 105 miles per hour and a launch angle between 20 and 45 degrees. That was the biggest difference. The It seemed as though the ball had the biggest difference uh, when it was struck at that exit velocity and at that launch angle. Uh, so from there, we kind of created what Connor in the article describes as a benefit ball. So we gathered the information how many times a player – hit a ball between 95 and 105 miles per hour at a launch angle between 20 and 45 degrees. And it became quite simple. The players who hit the most batted balls with that data, it was pretty easy to draw the conclusion that those players benefited the most from the ball having less drag uh, last season. And our results were pretty interesting out of, uh, you know, the most notable players who kind of it really appears perhaps benefited the most last season. We have Kevin Biggio, Anthony Rendon, Nick Castellanos, and Eduardo Escobar, which Escobar's kind of been the talk a lot this offseason as, you know, was his 2019 fluky. And it appears, you know, according to the ball and the benefits he received from the juiced ball, it, it, you know, there's a good chance or at least a decent chance that it was. And on the flip side of that, we also found players that kind of benefited the least from the juiced ball. Uh, players like Rafael Devers, Pete Alonzo, Anthony Rizzo, and Joey, Joey Gallo, we figured that those players actually did not receive the same benefits as players like Biggio and Rendon and Castellanos. And it's also important to note that just because the players that we kind of came up with or the data came up with benefited more than other players, we're not saying that if the ball is de-juiced in 2020, that all of a sudden these players are going to suck. Obviously, <laughs> Anthony Rendon is going to be an above-average offensive player in 2020 as long as he stays healthy. But what we are saying is that perhaps, you know, Anthony Rendon by uh, weighted runs created plus had his best offensive season of his MLB career in 2019. And perhaps the ball played a small role in that production. And of course, if you look at the strands that we used, when a batter hits the ball between 95 and 105 miles an hour at a launch angle between 20 and 45, that is really, really solid contact. So because these players hit the ball in that strand more than others, they would have made offensive gain gains anyways. But we, we also believe because of the ball that had the less drag, the juiced ball, that they kind of benefited more so than they normally would with a baseball that had a normal amount of drag, or I guess the, the common phrase is a de-juiced baseball. Hmm. It's very interesting. And some of the names that like, you know, you look, just looking at the names, Escobar was the one that you obviously pointed out. And that's the one I agree with. He's actually been somebody I've been banging the drum on since mid season of last year, like sell high. He's not going to sustain it. And if you look at the second half, it frustrated me because the counting stats, he sustained it, but his batting average took a big hit. And that was like just in the second half last year. And he's the one that really stands out here as like, like uh, he, he aggravates me. I, I don't know how much, but like you said, this isn't like a 
end all be all like they're gonna regress but it's just like he had his breakout season all of a sudden at in his age what 31 32 season as well and on top of that i mean as far as the only the only real change you see in the profile is that he pulled the ball an obscene amount so obviously by pulling the ball that's also going to generate further you know power output with that said though that seems that seems like something that although it's a change it doesn't seem like it's sustainable and it's not something he's ever done before and i think those guys these guys like specifically i'd say escobar and um rendon are the two that unfortunately even with that even with the ball being if the ball happens to be dejuiced i think they're both set to regress anyway because when you have a career best year it's rare that you repeat that to a t you know what i mean and so i'm expecting those two to regress in a sense anyway so this almost just validates that in a sense but then you have guys like castellanos where i feel like this, he surprises me because I didn't really see his production as being anything ball or juice ball driven just because there wasn't much to it, especially in the first half prior to the trade. So now even even if he was going to regress, moving to the ball, you know, now that he plays for the Reds, that ballpark can hide a lot of those regression potential, a lot yeah. of that regression potential. So, Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think uh, like people like Max Freeze who have – uh, for, that's at free stats on yeah. Twitter. You should be following him. Yeah, he's a smart guy. Oh, absolutely. He's published things like, you know, expected home run rates and things like that. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, he's not the only one. And Castellanos is a guy who's been very popular in those articles. And, you know, he, he did have a massive amount of balls that were barreled between 95 and 105, launch angle between 20 and 45. But the stadium in Detroit kind of masked some of the benefits with the surface stats, like home runs and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the hope there, if you are on Castellanos this season, which, I, I mean, I am. I'm, you know, trying to gobble him up as often as I can. I think your hope would be that Great, great American Ballpark in Cincinnati allows him to benefit more so than the ballpark in Detroit did. Yeah, those double, a lot of those, not a lot of them, but a good amount, I'd say a good amount of those doubles will leave the ballpark here, which is right. – because that's he hit like what forty doubles last year. It's ridiculous. Oh, it was a, it was an insane amount. And I think one of the most interesting things to me was I thought that you know Connor and myself uh, would run all this data and we would open and shut doors and then open another door, shut another door, and this never ending path. I was certain that at the end of this path, we were going to see that Cattell Marte was a major benefiter of the juice ball last season, and he just he wasn't. Uh, so that kind of – it was surprising to me. It, it really validates what he did last season. I know Connor has been a fan of his for a while. Connor is a fan of, of evaluating max exit velocity as it relates to a player's raw strength. And I think Marte had something like a, a max exit velocity of something like 116, which kind of speaks to how strong he is despite the, you know, fairly small frame. So six one one sixty five 165 is what he's – Peg that on a uh, baseball savant. Right. I, I, you know, <laughs> it, his, his sprint speed, and since you're there, it, that's above average as well, right? 73rd percentile, yes, sir. Yeah, he just he doesn't like to run as much as he, you know, could. So Which kills me, which is actually why I was, I was in on him for that last year, just for the fact that I thought, you know, at the end of drafts, you can get him, he'll give you 10 or 15 steals with 20 steal upside, and then he turned into the power hitter. I'm not expecting 30-plus home runs, but – what is encouraging because it wasn't just – the power. obviously the power the – the breakout was there, but the launch angle change, he literally doubled his launch angle. So he obviously made a point to put the ball in the air more. With it, he almost doubled his barrel rate. 
Really so you well. put the, you, you put that hit you put that hit tool, and you add you add a little loft to the, you put any type of ball in the air these days, and that hit tool together you're gonna get good power output. You just are, especially yeah. in today's climate. But say the ball loses some juice or whatever, I still think he's a 25, 28 home run guy, which is still solid. And you're getting that with a good batting average. And he had 10 steals last year, so I couldn't steal 10 more again this year. I think he's a solid all-category all producer. So I really like Del Marte. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm he, buying him. Uh, yeah, and I, he was on my high-value list last season. But Ooh. I would be lying to you if I – thought he would do what he did yeah exactly i mean anybody <laughs> who was in on him last year you won like you cashed like go to your go to the window and cash out on yeah. Marte. but there was no one who was saying this this cat is hitting more than 30 home runs there was nobody and saying no, he was nobody even said he was gonna hit 20 like I, right. I can tell you right now i literally i if i go back and listen to my podcast my one of my very first ever podcasts i i talked him up but i said he had like Tip, he had like 15-15 upside at most. That's what I called it. Like, I'm not going to lie. That's why I was like, that's where I thought he was. I thought he was just going to be a solid little power speed combination, but nothing nearly what he did. He, yep. he came up I, short. I, I was on the same page, and he, he had three positions of eligibility, second yeah. base, shortstop, outfield. I'm he like, man, he can, he's a bench bat. I can plug him in, and he's not going to hurt me too much. And he ended up being a league winner last year. Yeah, it's crazy. Now, let me ask you this. It's kind of a little tangent because, you know, we're good at this once we get talking. Are you, do you, are you one of the people that find yourself now because of how cheap he was last year, how you had him for cheap? Do you have a hard time paying up that third, fourth round price tag for him? I, I've got one share in a Fantrax best ball, $100 buy-in. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess you could say so just because the, the track record of such massive success is fairly limited. I think the research that Connor did kind of – it makes me a little bit more optimistic that if the ball is different and the ball goes back to normal this season, that Cattell is still going to be a power hitter. So mm -hmm. I'm now, I mean, I guess you can call that an effect of the article. I'm now certainly more optimistic that, you know, he's not, he probably, I, mean, I doubt he hits more than 30 home runs. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's, it's very fair that you can kind of pencil him in as long as he's healthy for anywhere from 20 to 30 with a little bit of speed and a on base skills that won't kill you. Yeah. No, I I really do agree. I really like his skill set. I think this article helps validate his draft price a little bit. It really does. And I really I, I was telling you, I'll be honest, I, I didn't get a chance to read through it all yet, but from what I did read, it was very interesting. And it's just it's my my big thing is you put the numbers there to back up your research, which was kind of cool. So at the end of the day, it's a great article. You should read it. I've retweeted it. You tweeted it out. It's on your site, prospects365.com, correct? That's the website? That's absolutely right. And a couple of things. You know, we Connor says in the article that, you know, batted balls are notoriously noisy anyway. So it's not like the article – we're not saying that the article is the red words in the Bible. Like we're not yeah. saying that, you know, everything in the article is sticky and you can rely on it 100% because – the data that we were worse that we researched is noisy anyways. Uh, so, you know, and we, we addressed that in the article and I, I must say, before we move on to the prospect list, mm -hmm. if you are not following Connor Kirk on, on Twitter, you are missing out. And I, I get the chance. I promote him every chance I get because he is a superstar. This article would not have happened without him. He was, he did 99% of the research I was just glad to kind of give him the idea and to be a part of the process along the way. But please go follow him. His Twitter handle, I believe, 
is at C Kirkon, K U R C O N. Yep, that is it. At C Kirkon. I was just pulling it up. Now you mentioned it. We're, we can go ahead and transition to it now. We're going to enter the part where this is the um, you've talked about 80 prospects out of your top 200 already. So you went ahead, put it out on Twitter, looking for some questions. And this is just us going through those questions, or at least touching up on the players that were suggested that we discuss a little more. Now, if you want to get, give, go ahead and give a few more details of what, if people don't understand or don't know what exactly how many, how much work goes into these prospect lists, uh, prospect lists, uh, let them know. Cause I know it's a lot of work. Yeah. So I think all in all, uh, my top 200 list is going to be somewhere around 60,000 words. Uh, it was a gigantic project. I undertook it in November because I sent uh, my preseason content to VIP members from the site on New Year's Day. So I had to get that, um, that list done. I had to get my high-value active list done and my prospect obsession list done. And for the first time, I also published uh, starter pitcher rankings and sent that to VIP members as well. It's just an absolutely huge project, and it, you know, it, it helps sharpens me as an evaluator when I really get to dive into prospects, people I haven't seen too much, players I haven't seen too much, and it also allows me to kind of create and uh, kind of stoke some of the relationships I've built within the industry, reaching out to organizational scouts, reaching out to other industry friends who – uh, kind of have seen some prospects more than I have and have actually seen them in person. Just the, you know, all of the, my, all of my best resources, I kind of had them on retainer throughout the month of uh, November. It was, it was a very, very busy month, but it's been very rewarding because the feedback has been absolutely fantastic. We're 80 prospects in so far, uh, which is just under 20,000 words. So. Yeah. And coming from guy, like I, I write art, my articles, <laughs> Just like I can really appreciate how much, how many words and how much effort you put into these because my typical article can run anywhere from like 1,400 to maybe, maybe 2,000 words. I feel like that's a ton. And then you're over here putting down 18,000 words roughly. You said under 20. So I, and you wrote in the notes here about 18,000. So either way, it's a ton of words, a ton of information. Obviously, anybody, any prospectors or people that just love prospects playing your dynasty leagues, this is a must read. With that said, Who's the first guy that you had a question about? So I was very surprised about this. When we reached out on Twitter and we asked, who are some prospects that you want to hear more about? What prospects do you have questions about? The prospect that people wanted to know the most about was Thomas Zapucky from the Mets. And I think our boy Matt Williams was one of the first people who reached out to us. And he said, you know, as a, Met, as a Mets fan, there's no such thing as not hearing too much info on Zapucky. Uh, he's a guy that has been just – he completely derailed the past couple of seasons due to injury. He had a shoulder injury a few seasons ago. Then he underwent Tommy John surgery, I believe. That was at the end – or, I'm sorry, at the beginning of 2018 or at the end of 2017. I can't uh, remember the exact time now. Finally got back on the diamond last year on the mound last season. He started in low A. By the end of the year, he was in double A. Uh, his – Outings were very brief. They didn't really stretch him out and let him go six or seven innings an outing. But the statistical output was really good. I care more about the arsenal. Uh, he's a 23-year-old kid who, you know, pitched some of his time uh, in low A and then high A. So, you know, I don't really care necessarily as much about the stats as I do the stuff. Uh, and the stuff is pretty good. He's a, a sinker changeup guy. 
Um, and, of course, his best pitch is, has always been his curveball. It still is. Uh, the sinker and the changeup, they mirror each other really well. That allows both of them to play up decently well. Uh, the curveball is the swing and miss pitch. Whatever strikeout viability he has, it's, it is based on that pitch. I don't think there's top of the rotation upside here, but there is certainly big league rotation upside. I think he can be kind of an SP4 that is always kind of sneaky from a strikeout standpoint. Uh, perhaps the biggest side note on him was that the Mets added him to their 40 man this offseason. So at this point, you know, being 23, he'll pitch quite a bit of the 2020 season uh, as a 24 year old. He's, he's only one call away from New York. Uh, of course, the Mets rotation is really deep and it got deeper this offseason with additions like Rick Porcello and Michael Waka. But I could, I could foresee a circumstance, you know, perhaps towards the end of the season, uh, or if the Mets are bludgeoned with injuries, that, you know, Zapucky is a guy who could get, uh, could get a look. The biggest thing with him, of course, is always going to be him staying healthy, durable. He kind of got a little nicked up. There were some arm soreness reports at the end of the regular season. He was slated to pitch in the Arizona Fall League, and that soreness kind of uh, allowed the Mets to exclude him from their plans for the AFL. I reached out to one of my Mets contacts as I was writing my list, and he said that there's no reason to suspect Zapucky will be anything but 100% entering the new season. So really excited to see him. It, most of it should be a double-A. I assume some of it will also be in triple-A, especially since triple-A will have the major league ball. Uh, like I said, it's not ace potential, but it is certainly big league rotation. And he's a guy that, on um Z- Z- can't think of the <laughs> the co-host on my other podcast on bases loaded um zach he's a mess fan as well and that's actually a guy he keeps talking about just on side text because he's a big mess fan he's been talking about him is really excited about him as well so i keep hearing more and more about this guy i actually went out and added him in the dynasty league myself prior to even hearing you talk about him he's he's gaining some steam and i guess maybe like you said it was one of those he was out of sight out of mind and now he's back and healthy and people are starting to get that excitement even though like you said there's no maybe there's no real like frontline ace potential there's still a solid pitcher to be had there or at least potential to have be had there so yeah yeah three different levels last season he only threw 60 innings so of course you know despite the fact that he threw at three different levels the sample size statistically is pretty small uh i just i personally don't see ace upside because it's a sinker you know, it plays better low in the zone than up in the zone, and we know that the straighter pitches play better and they mm-hmm. miss more bats when they're elevated. I don't really see that much out of Zapucky. Uh, he doesn't get fantastic extension in his mechanics, but I do think the sinker and changeup can both be adequate big league pitches because they tunnel together well, they have similar spin, uh, and, the, you know, it's, it's pretty beautiful when, when he throws a better changeup. There's something aesthetically pleasing about a left-handed changeup that I like to see. But the curveball is truly plus. It's 60. Some could even argue it's better than that. Um, it's definitely SP4 with some strikeout viability. Just please stay healthy. Now, would you say this is his uh, make-or-break season as far as a prospect goes? I would say so. I mean, a, a pitcher who is – is, you know, his thrown, I believe he has thrown a grand spanking total of four innings pitch that was only one start in double A. <laughs> He's going to pitch most of his 2020 season as uh, a 24-year-old. So it's kind of time for him to, uh, you know, it's, I won't say make or break because, you know, there is certainly talent there. And being added to the 40-man does give him a little bit of a leash, I would think, especially if he does show 
decent durability, but this is a massive, massive season for Zapucky for sure. Yes, uh, I was when I say make or break, I meant more like along the lines of a fantasy prospect. Somebody he might be a fringe prospect on some teams, and obviously a slow start or a rough year, he becomes droppable, and somebody that's that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, he, more, he, more for fantasy than reality, right? He could very easily be a casualty in leagues that have a kind of a strict cap on prospects, especially because the 2020 draft class is going to be extremely, extremely strong, especially at the top end. So if he doesn't perform, he's a guy that could very easily go by the wayside as you look to add uh, newly drafted players this summer. I can't wait to hear talk 2020 draft with you. That's, that's a little bit, that's a little bit of a ways away, but man, Kareem Rocker, right? He should be coming out, right? Yeah. He pitches at Vandy, which is about two hours from my house. Have you seen him? I have, I've not seen him live. No, oh. I, my goal is to get to Vandy this spring. You know, coaching high school baseball, it, it just it drastically limits my schedule during the spring, which is very, very sad. But my goal is to get to Vandy one weekend to see him pitch. also want to get down to my alma mater at Mississippi State and see uh, JT Ginn pitch once this season because both could be potentially very high first-round draft picks this summer. <laughs> I said the wrong – for some reason, it's Kumar Rocker, not Kareem. It is, old Kumar, yes. Yeah, I said Kareem for some reason. I don't know why the name Kareem, but it's Kumar Rocker. I just sound like a real idiot. That's always fun. Anyway, that's why I'm not the prospect guy. No, but Rocker, man, you see those videos. They, he's electric. That is some serious stuff, man. It is. So, I don't know. I'm a little jealous. I can't – I'm not even – I'm not anywhere near there to go see that. I'm in Florida. <laughs> Maybe if he comes down and plays versus UF or something. That's right. We can talk about this all night. Let's go to the next guy on the list. I see. Did you put them in order of just how, like, the frequency of the questions? Or? Yeah, for, yeah, frequency of the questions that were asked. Okay, so who's the next guy? Tanaj Thomas, and he is a guy who has really begun to build quite a bit of hype coming into the 2020 season. A lot of it is because this should be the first season that he's in full season ball, so we'll get to see him in the South Atlantic League. But I would say most of it is because of his performance this past season in – uh, rookie advanced. I mean, this is a guy that has deadly, deadly stuff. His fastball slider combo is one of the best in the entire minor leagues. And that is saying something for someone who has not even debuted in full season yet. He's a really, really good athlete. Uh, of course, when you're talking about a really athletic pitcher who is yet to debut in full season ball, almost always the next sentence out of someone's mouth is that he's really, really raw. Uh, he, there's a lot of unrefinement there. Uh, he needs to develop a third pitch along the way. We have to see some gains in command. But that's very, very common for people of this archetype, pitchers of this archetype. What I chose to focus on is uh, a fastball that is at least plus. You can argue that it's 70 gray. A slider that is at least plus. You can argue that it's 70 gray. Uh, and those two pitches alone are going to be enough for him, as long as he stays healthy, to chew up uh, batters, especially in low A and probably in high A as well. A couple of questions that revolved around him were, what do we need to see this season in order for him to really, really climb prospect list? And I, I think I already mentioned it, but it's worth repeating. We'll see it in kind of the statistical output with walk percent. How well is he limiting free passes? How often is he throwing strikes, his frequency? in strike throwing. And also, I need to see reports of a development of more of a third pitch. It's not a make or break deal for me right now. He's so young. He has such a long way to go in his development. But I will be more inclined to rank him aggressively 
if I kind of hear and kind of see reports of the development of a third pitch. And I will say that Fangraphs released their top 100 recently. They have Thomas ranked 78. That is extremely aggressive, but I also see that the guys at Fangraphs are some of the most well-sourced people in the prospect industry, and they certainly had a reason or reasons to rank him that high. It's just a guy that I'm really, really excited to see. John Calvagno, who's one of my uh, better friends in the prospect industry, he got to see him last summer in Rookie Advanced. Now he should, I would imagine, he'll get to see him in the South Atlantic League this season. I'll kind of lean on him to see what he says. Uh, he was kind of – he published his scouting report on Thomas this summer, kind of began to, began to draw some attention to him along with the statistical success. I mean, this is a guy that could be a top 100 prospect this time next year, and that's a, quite a bit of a jump for a guy who I currently have ranked 195th. Oh, wow. That is, that's a pretty hefty uh, jump, but that's that is just a testament to his potential, which is always fun to speculate on. But uh, there's one more name here that I guess you had a lot of questions on, and he's a guy I'm seeing a lot of uh, stuff about. So, Yeah, I guess Pirates fans want to hear a lot about their prospects just because the team <laughs> in Pittsburgh is not going to be very good this season. Uh, Quinn Priester is a guy I think three different people asked me a question or they wanted to hear more about him. He's a really interesting profile because he's a cold-weather prep arm. And a lot of times when you're dealing with that profile, you're looking at a guy who is kind of more unrefined. He hasn't faced the top-notch competition that uh, some of the Southern or Western kids have. I don't necessarily see that as much with Priester. I see, I see a higher floor than I normally see with the cold-weather prep arms. Uh, the arsenal is not spectacular. There's nothing there that – uh, you could really argue as a 70-grade pitch. I think you could make an argument on a couple of plus offerings, but for me right now, it's mostly 50s and 55s. Uh, I really like the mechanics. Uh, there's really very little violence there. It's low effort. Uh, I just we Honestly, we just need to see him perform over a larger sample uh, before we kind of begin to really buy in. He's a guy that I ranked 196. And his performance, I assume that he will be uh, in the South Atlantic League. I would imagine that he and Tanaj Thomas will both be in low A to begin the year. I certainly hope they are anyways. And if he can make it throughout the season, if his arsenal can kind of prove to be viable against full season hitters, then he's a guy that we're going to see really begin to bump up rankings just because, you know, if he does unlock some of the potential within his profile, that is going to be paired with the fact but I kind of perceive him as a high floor pitcher as well. So it's a really interesting combination of skills. Like I said, the arsenal is not overly spectacular, uh, but he projects well. He's a good athlete, and he's kind of a, a little bit further along than I would have expected when I began to evaluate him, especially seeing as he is, you know, a, he has the old stereotype of being a cold weather prep arm. So you mentioned as far as – I'd say you almost sound the most excited, I should say, of, of Tanaj Thomas. Would that I be – yeah. yeah. Well, and the reason why I'm asking or mentioning that is because you mentioned him and his potential, you know, jumping up the ranks. And that kind of goes right into the next point of, of these 80 you've already written about and released and discussed, which of these, other than Tanaj Thomas now, and maybe a few others you want to exclude just because of obvious reasons, but which players of, within this, this first 80 you've already uh, written about do you expect to be big risers as well? 
I kind of thought about it. I wanted to exclude the big, the quote unquote bigger prospect name. So mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about Alex, Alex Free Planez. I, I don't want to talk about Luis Matos. I don't want to talk about Aaron Bracco. The guys I kind of wanted to highlight who I think could make fairly sizable jumps this season. Blake Walston became my favorite prep arm from last summer's draft that I evaluated all offseason. A really amazing athlete, a really underrated arsenal gigantic strikeout viability, especially from the fact that he's left-handed. I think he's a guy who could explode. I really hope the Diamondbacks give him a chance at Kane County uh, this season. Johan Rojas is another name that I think. He's a good athlete. He's got really good bat-to-ball skills. Uh, he is going to – I would assume he's going to experience cold weather uh, in Lakewood for the first time this spring, so I'm really interested to see how he handles that. Luis Rodriguez, uh, the Dodgers' biggest J2 signing last summer. We just, quite honestly, we don't know a ton about him. Uh, Even the people I reached out to that are kind of my Dodgers people, they don't really know much about him except for what we've seen and heard from scouting reports from the time he was signed. Ezekiel Duran is another player who was in Fangraph's Top 100 that was recently released. Uh, He's a guy that I I thought I ranked him aggressively, and he's still outside my 150. Uh, he was a guy who had a ton of juice in 2018. Didn't perform up to that standard, but he really bounced back last season. The question there is the swing and miss. I'm not all that worried about it, seeing as he hasn't debuted in full season ball. So he's a guy I'm definitely watching this season. Uh, I don't know if you pronounce it Yerry Rodriguez or Jerry Rodriguez with the Rangers. He has a really – his skill set is really – it has massive potential because – he, he's shown the ability to miss bats, and he also induces a lot of ground ball contact. So that combination screams top of the rotation. He um, was shut down in the middle of last summer due to uh, UCL damage. Uh, he, For now, he has avoided Tommy John surgery, so that's certainly something to keep an eye on because if he can prove that he has gotten past that ailment, he could be a big-time pitcher. And that begins this season. Uh, Mark Vientos with the Mets is someone who was really hindered uh, from his home park last season in the South Atlantic League. Uh, He has massive power. It didn't always show up in his surface stats last season. Uh, Although I do think the hard hit rate was better than was anticipated. I think he's really going to bounce back, even though he'll be in the Florida State League uh, with Ronnie Mauricio this year. I still think, even though the FSL really suppresses power, I think we see a statistical bounce back from him, and I, I, I suspect he'll be a top 100 prospect perhaps by midseason. And last but not least, Lewin Diaz. I think this season he'll uh, officially cement himself as one of the, the top first-base prospects in all of baseball, especially with guys like Evan White going to probably graduate early in the season. He's a guy with a lot of power. I worry a little bit about his lack of walk rate and how that will look. Uh, in AAA and at the big league level. Uh, But I comped him to the light version of Jose Abreu in my prospect list, and I meant it. This is a guy with uh, gigantic power. And before we move on, I want to say one more note on Tanaj. He was a guy, when I sourced out my list to people in the industry and a few of my org friends, he was a guy that people kind of campaigned for. And they, you know, I originally had him outside of my top 200, which which means that his name and his write-up would not have been published on the side because prospects 201 to 260 were only sent to VIP members. And that was about 10,000 or so words worth of content, if memory serves me correctly. 
he was originally a guy outside of my top 200. The people within the industry, especially those who had seen him pitch live a couple of times, were like, you need to do what's necessary to make sure he makes the back end of your list. Because this is a guy who, if, if, you know, if things begin to click this season, full season ball, you're talking about a guy who could have two potential 70-grade pitches in a fastball and a slider. So he's a guy that after the urging and after I dug a little bit deeper, he's a guy who I kind of, I guess you could say, stuck my neck out there for. I know I'm not the only high guy on him in the prospect industry. But, yeah, there, there is certainly reason to be really, really excited about him moving forward. Just to recap those names, it was Blake Walston, Johan Rojas. I almost, or is it Johan? I, I, I'm I think it's Johan. Honestly, it, it's so weird. I was having this conversation with Ralph Lifshitz just before we went on. Like, I can I write th- mm-hmm. hundreds and thousands of words about these guys, and I see their name on my, on my laptop over and over and over again. And then I go to talk about them using my voice and my words, and I'm like, how do I pronounce that name? It's really, really weird, and it's something I hadn't experienced before the podcast. Exactly. I, I thought, you know, like simple names too, like not even just name difficult names. I find myself having a hard time saying some of the easiest names at times. So I'm like, it just doesn't sound right when I physically have to say it. So I get it. And I hate to miss, and I also hate to miss uh, pronounce any names. That's always, yeah, I feel like. Yeah, you do these guys justice for sure. Yeah. So Johan Rojas, we're going to try this one again. <laughs> Blake Walston, Luis Rodriguez, Ezekiel, Ezekiel Duran, Yeri Rodriguez, Mark Vientos, and Lewin Diaz, which I'm happy to see Marlon on your uh, list here, by the way. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like one of the I'm one of the few Marlins fans that exist, so it's nice to see it's nice to see, it's nice to see one Marlin. Although our farm is preloaded these days, so can't really. You know, they it. they I heard the Marlins really stuck their neck out there for Lewin. You know, they traded for him last season from the Twins. They traded mm-hmm. Sergio Romo. Uh, the Marlins are extremely high on him. Uh, statistically, he kind of popped. I know Matt Thompson from Prospects Live is extremely high on him. Uh, he's a guy that I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing and kind of digging a little deeper as the new season starts this, this year. And again, just looking at the surface stats, man, you, you would like to see him walk a little more just because, but it looks like he just makes a lot of contact because the K rate has rarely been an issue. It's typically under 20%, usually actually under 19% even. So, and you look at that, that comes with a batting average more than, more than uh, most of the time of late as high as 290, 300. It's just like, that means there's just a lot of contact there. I mean, unfortunately, there's only so many, you know, we don't have the same amount of uh, information. I mean, although there's minors graphs these days and such, and you, this is where you come in because you get to, you know, talk to a lot of people and all that. But just from, just from a brief looking at, just from a brief look at his uh, profile, you see that there's a chance to be, a, like a solid, there's, I'd say a high, what, the high end there, maybe a 25, 30 home run guy with a 270-ish batting average, maybe? Yeah, yeah. If everything you can dream wrong. on that. I think yeah. the, the hand-eye is fantastic. Yeah, uh, that's, that I, sure I is. would, uh, I'm interested to see, I, it appears there's aggression there uh, that's yes. masked by the great hand-eye coordination. So I'm really interested to see the pitching in AAA, the sequencing, the sequencing and tunneling at the big league level if yeah. that eats away with any of the on-base skills. Because if he can maintain 270, like you're saying, and even if it's 260 with 25 to 30, that's redraft value at first base. Yeah, especially I was saying today's climate at first base. Are you kidding me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, uh, you're, uh, you're hoping for that type of production for sure. 
So that's Lewin Diaz of the Marlins we're speaking about. And uh, that is the, that, that's going to wrap it up for that uh, segment. And we're going to enter the final one here. And this is your, this is infielders from Rays, you, <laughs> your 2020 high value uh, active list. And what is the actual goal of the high value list? Right. So the way that I define it is I have attempted to find in every position, in every tier of your redraft, players at different positions who I think we can get a 20% return on investment for. So that means that a player is going to out-earn his draft day value by at least 20%. And the way that I structured it, it the, the list itself became so long this season that I'm re- <laughs> releasing it publicly in three parts. Of course, VIP members received it on New Year's Day, but I'm publishing it on the website in three parts. I published my infielders. I believe it was on this past Saturday. Next will be the outfielders, and finally the third uh, installment will be the pitchers. But, yeah, players that I think can give us at least a 20% return on investment, that helps you win your leagues, especially when you're getting them kind of underslotted a bit in your drafts this preseason. With that being said, let's get to the names. So, there's some, of course, there are some oldies but goodies, and I know Mike Moustakis isn't all that old, but he's someone who – He's just I, been around. I, <laughs> just. Yeah, he, he has. It, I mean, I feel like I've, I've grown up watching Mike Moustakis play baseball. Uh, he's a guy that is kind of perpetually and eternally underrated from a fantasy standpoint. Uh, him and Edwin Encarnacion were the two kind of the two guys that I listed in this category of the oldies but goodies guys that kind of carry a bad reputation of not having – any upside and that is because we know what they are but the thing is the they are guys who are going to hit 30 home runs a year with a batting average that's not going to bring your team down and it seems like every year they are underrated in your draft room uh these are guys that you know Moustakis and Encarnacion both have a track record and a valid track record of giving you a positive return on investment in the fantasy world and I think they have got that they have proven themselves to the point and don't worry yes Nelson Cruz will be on the outfielders portion of the list despite the fact he's utility only but i think that they have proven their track record and they it's so valid that eventually the skills are going to deteriorate deteriorate there is a season that we are going to take a loss on both of these players but at this point they've proven themselves to the extent that i'm willing to go down on that ship like, I'm willing to lose with Mike Moustakis on my team at that value. I'm willing to lose with Edwin Encarnacion where I can draft him currently. That's the kind of track record these players have. So, of course, those were obvious inclusions just because they have proven that there is a, uh, a, a decent, at least a decent probability that we cash in on these guys at the end of the season. But, you know, I would say that I'm most proud of, and I said this in the article, Thousands upon thousands of words on prospects and prospects and prospects. I get more excited to be able to publish my high value active player list because when, you know, when I launched prospects 365, our goal was we want to help you win your fantasy league five years from now from a dynasty standpoint, but we also want to help you win your fantasy league this season. And that's where the high value active list comes in. My proudest part of the infielders list as it will be with all three installments are players that you're not seeing hyped too much this preseason. Jason Castro is a guy, as soon as he signed with the Angels, I knew that I needed to include him on this list. He had a massive jump in hard hit rate last season. 
it was masked statistically on the surface because he shared – he kind of took a backseat to Mitch Garver, who also broke out last season offensively. But Castro's hard hit rate went through the roof last season, and now you're telling me that he is going to be the primary catcher in Anaheim, and he's going to bat behind a pretty decent middle of the order. And he's just a massive value. We've already seen that in his ADP is still climbing, and I assume it will continue to climb, especially on NFBC in two-catcher leagues. Uh, he's not going to be a gigantic contributor from on-base skills. The batting average is going to be something along the lines of 230, which is not the end of the world with a catcher, but it's also not going to help uh, your that category in Roto. But I do think he is going to be an asset from a, uh, a run-producing standpoint and most importantly, from a home run standpoint. Sticking with the Angels, I really like Tommy LaStella this season. He is a guy who was in the process of breaking out statistically last season. Uh, then he got hurt and missed almost the entirety of the rest of the season. He's a guy, especially now that the Jock Peterson trade fell through with the Dodgers, he's a guy who I think is going to bat leadoff quite often for the Angels, which means he's going to bat in front of uh, the best player in baseball and Mike Trout. He's going to bat behind, uh, in front of Anthony Rendon. He's going to bat in front of Justin Upton. There is going to be a massive amount of opportunities for him to not only continue the power surge that we experienced last year, but he's also going to score a massive amount of runs. And where you can get him right now in your redrafts, whether you're sticking him, and he does have second base and third base eligibility. I said that in the write-up. So you can stick him at second base if you get desperate, third base if you get desperate, but I really think he's going to be an asset at either at your MI spot or your CI spot or even one of your utility spots depending on your format. This is a guy that is going to be a high-value player this season, assuming good health. And the last guy that I wanted to point out, and he has received a little bit of hype. I know he was kind of the headliner of Max Freeze's article. I know I'm going back to Max, but, you know, when you're good, you get mentioned on podcasts like this at uh, Freestats. <laughs> I believe, if memory serves me correctly, Dansby was one of the uh, highlights of his expected home run rate, and it said that uh, Swanson kind of really, really underperformed uh, his expected home run rate last season. He's a player that he mashes fastballs, but historically he struggles against kind of the curveball sliders and changeups. Even if we see just a tad bit of development hitting non-fastballs, if he can regress positively a little bit and get closer to that expected home run rate this season, he is going to be someone who carries a redraft value at shortstop, even in 12-team leagues. I really like the, the speed-power combination and potential. He could be a guy that he is, you know, 20 or 15. You know, the, the true power, if he unlocks it all the way, it could be at 25 and 10, 25, 15, if you really want to shoot for the moon where you're getting him at in your redrafts, uh, I, I believe is a bargain. I've attempted to target him uh, anywhere that I can. I just think that those three guys are guys that are not really being hyped on the bigger sites, on the mainstream, in the fantasy industry. Those are three guys that are going to help you in your fantasy league this season. Well, you and I aren't far off on player valuations this year, it seems like, at least in the redrafts uh, setting, because Edwin, I got grief because – you know, I write for Fantrax and I put him on my sleeper list because he just fit the ADP aspect of it. 
And then someone gave me grief. Well, like, if, well, if he's a sleeper, then we need to work on the definition. I'm like, fine, whatever you want to call him a value, call him what you want. He's going too late. Like, that was my reasoning. I'm like, hey, he's a great value. And you want somebody who has 30 plus home run, most likely production with at least like probably a 245 or 250 batting average, which in today's climate, like you mentioned, is not a bad batting average. He's just, and, and not, furthermore, he, he hits, sorry, he plays a position that, we have a hard time finding production from it in first base these days. We were just talking about Lewin Diaz being this type of hitter. Like Absolutely. we can get, and we can get this from Edwin and you're getting him at a great value this year. Same with Moose, who again has a multi-positional eligibility, second and third base, and also offers similar, if not better production, at least maybe not the same power ceiling, but a better batting average ceiling. So I like those two. And then Stella, I I'm, I've been up and down on him. I was up on him for every reason you just said, so I'm not going to repeat all that. But what I, I guess what's worth monitoring is if somehow they reworked that Peterson deal or if something else happens because if Peterson was going there, there was a good chance that Jock was going to, uh, you know, supplant him batting leadoff. And that was where my – and if you, if you move him – if you move LaStella from leadoff, I think a lot of that shine and potential value gets, you know, swept away just like anybody else, anybody else who would move off leadoff in that lineup would, so – just something worth monitoring, not necessarily something that's going to happen at this point. I mean, there's a reason why they nixed that trade in the first place, I guess. So, and then yeah. let's see. And then yeah, quick, Castro. Quickly, quickly I, I didn't have the info on hand, but I wanted to make sure the listeners know. Right now, you can get Encarnacion. When when my article was published, his NFBC ADP was 171. Uh, you can get Tommy Lestella right now. His ADP is 282. Yeah, he's such Mustakis, a good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mustakis is 101. Uh, oh, he's pricing see. up. He wasn't that he high is. initially. He is. He is. Uh, you know why? He, he signed. Yeah, he signed. This is. I remember the ADP was like 120-ish or 130-ish prior to the signing. But then now that he, you know, he signed with the Reds and all that. It's Yeah, we see, you know, it, it took Marcelo Zuna a little while to sign. His ADP went down. Because I guess there was – I don't know why there was worry, but there was, and it showed in his ADP. Now that he signed with the Braves, it's going back up. You're also seeing a little bit of a drop in Yaziel Puig. Puig was uh, the name that just came to mind after you yeah, said that. His, yeah, his ADP is beginning to plummet a little bit because, you know, I, I've kind of sourced on Twitter. I've said, you know, where in the world? Because I, I thought he was going to end up in Cleveland. It's not looking like that's going to happen. I thought he could end up in San Francisco. That's not looking like it's going to happen. I thought he could end up in Detroit not looking like he's going to happen. So every time I've sourced, I've had like one or two people who have replied with, you know, there's an outside chance that he ends up overseas, which, you know, I guess that's always in the back of your mind. And that always is going to cause there to be a little bit of a shock value in his ADP. And it's continuing to go down to the point where I think he's going to become a decent value, especially from accounting stance, accounting stats standpoint uh mm-hmm. swanson's adp right now is 258 i just wanted still to, ridiculously low <laughs> yes i just wanted to cover the guys that i talked about and i wanted to mention specifically where you could get them uh make sure you read that article i i have more fun and i hate to say this as a guy that is known for prospects quote unquote but i have more fun putting together my high value list than i do my prospect list and it will help you win in your league this season as opposed to three or four years down the road like my prospect list will. I, I th- yeah, I see what you mean. And it's funny because Swanson, I'm looking at his uh, Savant page because 
I missed my article deadline this week because of how sick I was, but he's on my shortstop sleepers list. So again, you and I are like this, this podcast will probably air before I drop it. So there's a spoiler alert. He's on that sleepers list. I'm surprised because there's a lot there. Like you said, I've seen a lot of people talk him up, but it's not affecting his draft price. This is one of those where the industry is kind of in on him, but the, the masses haven't really adapted to that. Which is kind of nice. It's kind of nice because I'm playing in home leagues now. Like I have a couple of home leagues I've drafted and are drafting, and I know I'm going to be able to get them for cheap. And it's really kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, I grabbed him in a startup dynasty a couple of months ago, and I have I think I have two shares in redrafts. And I think a, a little bit about the fact that he's not. We haven't seen much of a rise. Is a little bit the way that shortstop is structured as far as ADP oh, yeah. goes this year. Most people that's a position that goes quite early, and they're kind of set with tears and it just seems like because of that structure people are kind of missing out on there hasn't been an ADP an ADP bump like you said uh, yeah so, I mean I'm, I'm good with him sticking right where he is because <laughs> I'm gonna grab him and I'm gonna throw him in my middle infield slot my wife is a absolutely gigantic Braves fan so well, I'll get go. to watch him just about every night on our tv uh, he's a guy that I like. I enjoy rooting for. He's a Vandy kid, same state that I live in. Uh, and there is, there is, don't don't get me mistaken. I know that the surface stats have not been overly impressive so far throughout his MLB career, but there are some really, really strong and loud raw tools within there. It's just going to be all about can he hit pitches that aren't fastballs and do damage to them. If he can, there is, I'm going to say there's some offensive stardom there that we just haven't quite seen yet. But he, that's a pretty big hurdle to climb. I really hope we see a little bit of development this season. And uh, you, saw, you started to see a little bit last year. You had long, a little bit of a launch angle change, and it's kind of increased last three years. Sorry, there was a dip one year. But with it, the sweet spot percentage went up, his barrel rate literally almost tripled. <laughs> like his career high was in 2016 with a very small sample size at 7.1%. And then that was before – that was until 2019 where – the last two years, it's been 3%, 4.1%, and then 2019 was 10.1%. That barrel rate with the, with the swing change or with the launch angle change kind of came together, and that's going to lead to that power you were discussing. And then not to mention just everything. You know, he's maturing as a hitter. People forget he is only 26 years old. People are just so – if you, it's these days, you know, if you don't succeed right away, you're just never going to. People forget that prospect growth isn't linear which is a quote that I always hear from Paul Sporer, and it's true. Prospect growth is not linear. He could be coming into his own when, because right now he is technically entering his prime. People just are so used to the Harpers, the, the Trouts these days, you know, the Acunas coming up here. Well, who, there's more, Soto. I mean, you see these guys coming up and setting the world ablaze in their early 20s, and that wasn't always the case, and that won't always be the case. This guy could very well be just now getting to that point, because he's en- he's entering his twenty 20- age twenty six season, absolutely. I think he was he was always perceived as a better real life prospect in mm-hmm. fantasy because of of course the defensive prowess at shortstop. One thing, of course, I think there's a, a couple of factors playing in his favor this season, and one of them is the fact that he is batting in one of the best lineups in the National League. Yet he's going to be slotted in like sixth or seventh, so there's yeah. not going to be a ton of pressure on him to produce. Hopefully that means he sees more fastballs than he would if he were batting in the middle of the order. And he can kind of just hopefully kind of just get, take a deep breath, know that, you know, there's not the stress on him to produce like there's going to be on Acuna Jr., on Albies, on Freeman, on Ozuna, things like that. 
And hopefully he kind of just sits back in the six hole or seven hole. And we just kind of begin to see that uptick that, you know, the, the analytics say that we should see it. Now we just actually have to see it and we need it to positively affect his performance on our fantasy team. I think that's a perfect place to wrap all this up because we can talk about, I know I could talk about him all night because I'm getting really interested. I might, he might be the subject of my next deep dive article. Cause I'm, he, there's just a lot of interesting growth in his, I, I want to keep digging, but now is not the time nor place. So tonight we discussed the findings and some of the interesting names of, from your article, beneficiaries of the 2019 Dragos baseball. We discussed some of the more popular names being talked about as far as when you reach on Twitter from the AD prospects you've already, that you've written about and released on your site. You discussed the potential big risers amongst these 80 excluding some of the bigger names or more obvious names. And then we discussed your high value active list, some of your infielders, I should say from that said list. So, wow, there's, there's just so much, it's a testament to how much work you put into this, how much you're doing right now. And what can people expect from you going forward? So I'm going to do it one more time just because he deserves it. If you're not already follow (laughs) Connor at C K U R C O N. I promise he is worth a follow. So do it. Uh, we are very, very close to announcing some new additions to the writing staff at prospects365.com. I am not exaggerating when I say it will be one of the biggest announcements in site history. Uh, some really, really, really big and cool things we've got in store. Hopefully we'll be uh, announcing that information relatively soon. Other than that, just the continuation of constant content of, uh, of course, my top 200 prospect list, we'll, we continue to roll that out 20 prospects at a time, but it's also more than 4,000 words at a time. So there's a lot of content there within those 20 prospects. Here within the next couple of weeks, I'll uh, release the outfield version of my high value active list and the pitcher version of my high value active list. So be on the lookout for that. Those are always two of the most, or that series is always one of the most popular things I publish each preseason. Uh, of course, the prospect obsession list will be closer to opening day, along with both my MLB and prospect bold prediction articles. Just a an absolute ton of content being rolled out on the site. Mike, I, th- I think this has been a fantastic episode, man. It was a lot of fun, man. And I was just glad I had the chance to talk about some of these redraft, redraft guys because the prospects are all you. I've, already, I've always told you that, except for the occasional Marlin prospect because I, you know, I try to familiarize myself with them. But in all seriousness – I had a lot of fun, man. I always appreciate it. And as always, guys, hit us up on Twitter. Twitter? That too, uh, but hit us up on Twitter. You can find Ray, of course, at Prospects365. You can find me at Mike underscore Curland. We love your questions. We love answering you guys. We love interacting. So, again, you can find us there. And as always, if anything related to Prospects365, you can find it on the website at Prospects365.com. And other than that, guys, we appreciate listening as always, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah.